And uh, good afternoon, everybody. Oh, this is going good. You are getting the hang of this audience participation thing. Well done. You guys are absolutely... That hymn of plug, but I, I, I just feel like I need to give my own plug for it. You know, the, uh, the, I first heard that hymn, uh, He Giveth More Grace, a couple of years ago, and I couldn't believe I'd never heard it before. I couldn't believe uh, that... Uh, when I listened to the to the words and, and just how much it meant, I thought, why has nobody ever played this before in any of the churches I've been in? And uh, it, it does reinforce for me sort of my own theory of, of church music, that it's not about whether it's fast or slow or old or new. It's about whether it's the right song, the right song that the congregation needs to hear. And uh, not necessarily a sense of, of fashion or what's in or what's out. And, and I first heard it when it at a time when I was struggling a lot. Um, and it's a concept that, that concept that when I've given everything I've got, when I've given absolutely every last thing I have, and there's nothing left in the tank, it says here in the passage from today, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. At a time like that, the song says, because of our relationship with Jesus, he, he's just getting going. He is just getting going. He had infinite resources. He had infinite riches. And he can deliver when we just go, yes, yes, right? And I don't know whether you, uh, when you're here today, whether you're suffering with something, or many of us will be suffering different things. God is enough in our suffering. That is what that song is saying. He is going to comfort us through hymns like that one, through the Bible, through each other, through, through us as the body of Christ sharing wisdom with each other, through mourning and rejoicing, being brothers and sisters. And I just thought that hymn was just such a great, great introduction to today's, today's subject. Because we are, in, sadly, I think, in the last week of our series on the body of Christ. Uh, I hope you've been able to catch a sense over these last three weeks, four weeks today, of the body of Christ, of what we talk about when we say the body of Christ, this analogy that we are, we are all one body. We're like little pinky fingers and noses and ears and hair and everything on one body, one united body. And that and the we, here, sitting here, are the body of Christ. And how, how God has equipped us. We looked at how God has equipped us with different gifts, different spiritual gifts. And we looked at how some of the ways we live together as a body of Christ. We looked at how we're supposed to relate to each other. So we talked a lot last week about forgiveness and how to forgive each other. And today we're sort of continuing with that idea of, of how we live together as a body of Christ. And we're thinking about suffering together and comforting each other. And we had a sense of that perhaps from some of the, the songs and the prayers. So let's pray and then let's get into the text. Heavenly Father, I am, I am really conscious that uh, standing here now, I'm in a group of people who are, to a greater or a lesser extent, uh, suffering with different things. And so we're coming to you on this important but difficult subject. And Lord, help us to see it in the way that you do, not in the way that perhaps we do. Help us to hear from your word what you have for us so that we would know how to suffer together and how to comfort each other as the body of Christ. Father, hide me behind your cross today. Nobody needs to hear from me today, but everybody needs to hear from you. Will you help that to happen? Amen. So let's get, let's get into our text. We're here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, and... Notice, first of all, that God is the God of all comfort. That's all comfort. How much comfort is involved in the word all? All comfort. Every single kind of comfort. He's, he's the God of all types of comfort. Comfort, excuse me, all levels of comfort. Uh, comfort in all kinds of different situations. Uh, and this word comfort has, has a sense not only of um, sort of commiseration and giving someone a hug, but also a sense of encouragement. 
it, it's a positive thing. It's a thing that builds up. Uh, do you remember that we said uh, two weeks ago that the gifts of God uh, build up the church? They build up the body of Christ. In the same way, this, this idea of comfort, it builds us up, it, it encourages us. Uh, and we can also see he's the father of, of compassion. And I guess that makes sense because to give someone comfort, you need a certain amount of, of compassion in order to do that. So that, that kind of hangs together and, and makes sense. Uh, also notice how much of the pa- passage is present tense when you read it. Paul is talking about being comforted now. He's talking about suffering now. This is not something that's happened in the past, although as, we, as we're going to see a little while, he has, surely he has suffered in the past. Uh, but also notice he, 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 he's talking about in the future as well. Verse 10, it says he will deliver us. So he talked about delivering us in the past, he's going to deliver us in the future. And he then goes on to say that God comforts us in all of our troubles. Again, notice that word all. How many of our troubles are included in the phrase all of our troubles? All of our troubles are included in the phrase, all of our troubles. So it's all troubles and all comfort. There's a completeness here, a sense in which everything is covered. God has got everything covered. But again, like the rest of this series, we want to be quite practical about things. So let's have a look at how, how God provides comfort. There are a few ways I want to suggest to you. I'm sure there are others. First of all, I think God provides comfort to the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. In actual fact, the the word for the Holy Spirit in in, in the Greek actually has that sense of comfort, actually actually in the title. Uh, And so that idea of us having the Holy Spirit inside us means there is a certain amount of of comfort through that itself. Uh, Secondly, through prayer. Andrew prayed a great prayer for us there. So much of it was praying about um, needs that we have, situations that we are in. Uh, That kind of prayer uh, brings comfort. We're going to look a lot more at prayer later on. But but thirdly, the word of God, just the word of God itself. Ian read read for us from the Psalms, and again, just just that that lovely psalm. The Psalms are so full of comfort anyway, I mean, particularly in different parts of the Bible. The Psalms are particularly rich uh, in comfort, but but many other places are as well. Let's have a look at Psalm 91 very quickly. Again, this is a topical uh, talk. Uh, normally here we will go through a particular piece of scripture and really get into the detail. But when we've been looking at the, Christ, uh, looking at the body of Christ, uh, it's been more topical. So we've been flicking about through the Bible, backwards and forwards. So Psalm is about halfway in your Bible. I don't have one of the church Bibles in front of me, so someone shout out a page number when you get there. Psalm 91. Five nine nine, bingo. Um, okay, Psalm ninety one. Here we go. Here we go with this. Just, just just listen to this. When you're thinking about comfort and how the, the the word of God comforts us, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare. And from deadly pestilence, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord, who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. What a great sense of comfort there. Um, this idea of a lack of fear for those who trust in the Lord. What a wonderful thing that is. But in terms of the passage back in Corinthians, uh, we can also say that um, if we look in verse 4 there, look back over it. In verse 4 it says, who comforts us, talking about God, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. So, So again, another way in which God provides comfort is through each other, through the body of Christ, through people who have themselves already suffered. And I want to suggest there's three ways that happens. One is there's a general kind of comfort. So, okay, you know, I think any of us can, to a certain extent, sympathise with somebody who is, is suffering. Uh, we, we are called to be a compassionate, a prayerful, a, a listening, sympathetic people. Um, now, I've got to tell you, and I wish you could have met her, my mum was brilliant at this. Uh, my mum could give you a hug that would communicate perfect comfort and encouragement to you. Uh, in fact, even the idea of her just holding your hand would bring huge comfort to anybody. And she used to do that. She used to hold, she used to, used to grab people's hands and hold them for a bit. So that was fine. Um, encouragement was one of her spiritual gifts. She had a number, that, that was one of them. Uh, of course, as a teenager, this hugely embarrassed me. You know, the, you know, oh, 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 stop hugging people. Um, and he actually took my youth leader to, to point out to me exactly what was going on here. And it's sort of the spiritual aspects of what I thought was quite embarrassing, but it was actually really good. So, so do pay attention to the people of the body of Christ, the body of Christ around you. Practice listening and, and encouraging them, providing, providing them with comfort that God's given you. Um, but secondly, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, there are also spiritual gifts. These are, these are gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. And although I'm not going to dwell on this too much because we talked about that a lot a couple of weeks ago, um, I want to suggest to you there is a spiritual gift of, of offering comfort. It is not listed in the, in the passage we saw in 1 Corinthians a few weeks ago or in Romans. But we did say that, that those lists aren't exhaustive and that spiritual gifts are here to build up the church. And because of this idea of, of comfort building of the church, I want to suggest to you that some people, I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest, some people have a, a spiritual gift of comfort. But the third way the body of Christ, this was again, provides comfort and I think this passage talks more about that is, that is that we can provide comfort to others in areas where we have already suffered or perhaps we continue to suffer brothers and sisters who have already experienced something of, of what we are going through can provide comfort and encouragement from their own experience and, and again, that, that's not to say that automatically that's going to be the case. So it's not that... Um, so someone who has recently lost a parent doesn't mean that they're going to be called to minister to everybody who loses a parent. But I think they will often feel that call. I think they will often feel God calling them to, to comfort the people around them. And this is a powerful way. This is a powerful way in which the body of Christ provides comfort and shares each other's burdens. I don't know if you've come across this lady. This is an American lady called uh, Joni Erickson Tarder. Uh, she is an American quadriplegic. So you does, she doesn't have the use of her arms and her legs. She had a, a diving accident when she was a, uh, in her late teens. Um, she, she fell wrong and uh, she broke uh, something in her neck, and so she can't use her arms and her legs. Um, and she really struggled as she was going through the, the rehabilitation. She really struggled with uh, anger and depression and, and suicidal thoughts, religious doubts. 
surprising that. For about two years, uh, by the way, I would recommend her autobiography to you if, if you ever get a chance. It's a great read. Um, however, uh, after a couple of years, she, she learned to paint with a paintbrush held in her mouth, as you may have seen some people do. And she began to sell her artwork. She began to get more confidence. She began to find purpose <coughs> in her life. Uh, as of right now, and I think these, these statistics might be slightly out of date, she's recorded several musical albums. Uh, she starred in a movie of her own life as herself. Uh, she's an advocate for disabled people. She's written over 48 books, uh, mainly on the subjects, uh, mainly for Christians, on the subjects of disability and uh, Christianity itself and, and providing comfort. Can you see the way in which her suffering is now being used to comfort, to be honest with you, tens of thousands of people in a really powerful way? It may not always be as dramatic as that. It may not, you know, the, the suffering may not be dramatic as that. The, the comfort may not be as dramatic as that. But, but you can see the principle, I hope. So how do we think about, how do we approach those around us who are suffering? Uh, a few words of application at this point, maybe before we go on. And again, there's lots of ways of doing this. Here's just a few things to think about. First of all, be open to people around you who are suffering. Don't build a wall around yourself. Don't, don't build a wall around them. Yeah. Uh, get to know each other. We've said this already. We've said this several, several weeks down the track. Let's face it. It's easier to share with someone what you're suffering with if you already know them. If, if you already have a good relationship with them, then you can say, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Richie, I'm really, I'm really suffering with this, man. You know. um, and particularly... If, if you know them well before you start suffering, that, that particularly is helpful. Um, yeah, it's strange how often we've said that, isn't it, over these, these three weeks. You know, really get to know each other and invest as the body of Christ. I think that's really important. Um, and, and think about the lessons that you've learned in the times of your own suffering. So, so um, perhaps as you're suffering or, or, or perhaps when, when you've gone, gone through that period of suffering, think about the comfort you've received from different places. Perhaps it's spiritual encouragement or, or practical, emotional, relational. Um, think about how you've received that through God, maybe through the actions of other people, maybe directly through God, through a particular passage. And think how you can then communicate that, investigate it. You may not have to for, for a long time. But having thought about it, you think about the lessons that you've learned, the thing, th things that you can perhaps pass on to each other that will encourage them. Well, I think, I think there's something else we should probably talk about uh, as it's directly related to this passage and to this idea of comforting each other is suffering itself. Because if we're going to comfort each other, we need a certain, what are we going to call it, a certain theology of suffering. We need, to, we need to understand a bit about suffering. Now, that in itself is a whole 12-week sermon series that, praise God, you're not going to hear today. Um, but we should just talk about it, perhaps. In fact, I said, th I said that about forgiveness, didn't I, last week? Okay, so we've got two sermon series coming up in the future. Look out for them, one on forgiveness, one on suffering. But today we're just going to touch really briefly and, and just capture a few thoughts on, on this idea of suffering. Because I think it's directly relates to what we're talking about. Um, if any of you have heard of Emerson Fittipaldi, he is a famous uh, Formula 1 racing car driver and Formula 2, and I think he did uh, Indy 500 as well, I'm not sure. He said, that, he said uh, that there were two kinds of drivers, and he was really thinking about um, Indy car racing here, which, if you know, has a concrete wall down the outside of the track. He said there's two kinds of drivers. He said that there are ones that have already driven into the wall and there are ones who are about to drive into the wall. And those are the only two kinds of drivers. The same is true of suffering. There are two kinds of Christians. There are Christians who have already suffered a lot and there are Christians who will sh quite shortly be suffering a lot. But I'm afraid we all suffer. And we're going to find out why when we talk about this uh, in a moment. Um, 
and those of you who, who've been here uh, perhaps the last few Wednesday nights or did our, our study on God's big picture have, have got a sense of this. One, one reason why we all suffer, and, and, this, and let's call it our sort of general suffering, is because we live in a fallen world. We live, all of us suffer illness and death, overwork, underwork, broken relationships, a, a lack of peace, everything. Um, and we suffer that because, because we've been designed for a perfect relationship with God. But Adam and Eve chose otherwise. They chose something different. Let's, let's just have a look at that. In your Bible, just go right to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Right from the beginning there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So that's their choice there. And just look then at verse 16. So this is God now pronouncing his judgment on their decision. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. Excuse me. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since, since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. And that, so that was Adam and Eve's choice. Where, where that relationship with God was broken. And every day we confirm that decision. Every day we confirm it by, by trying to be our own God. Our own God in a little world, population one. Population one, us. Every day that it's through subtle ways or obvious ways, we reaffirm that decision. And so this suffering, this suffering in the world because the relationship with God is broken. And that's bad news. That's really bad news. But before we continue, before we continue talking about suffering, let me tell you that there's also good news. That good news is that someone came to restore that relationship that was broken. Yes, God is really angry and upset that that relationship is broken and what that means. And so he decided to fix it. He decided to fix it by sending his son, Jesus, into the world. He walked, he walked the ground in the Middle East where people walk today, where we could go and visit. He talked to people, with real people. But here's the point. His relationship with his father, that's God the Father, was never broken like ours is. He lived like we should be able to live. But to fix our relationship then, he had to do something. He had to do something else. And so he died. God asked him to die in our place. So that when God looks at us and at our broken relationship, what he actually sees is his son and that unbroken relationship. And Jesus did that. He died in the way he was asked to and he rose from the dead. And he did that because we need it. We need that because I need it. We need that because Nick needs it. We need that because Graham needs it. Because Helen needs it, because Jan needs it. That's why he died. He died for us. So we can have that relationship 
restored with God and live forever. All we have to do then is to believe that and to repent, which means turn our lives from what we're doing and live the way in which he wants us to live. And the good news then, the really good news, if you do that, is that there is an end to suffering. There is a permanent end to suffering. There is eternal joy. There is eternal joy with God. And that is good news. Another word for good news is gospel. Another word for good news is evangel. You ever wondered why we're called evangelical? Evangelicals? Evangel. Good news. And this gospel is the core of what, what you can call a worldview that's held by Christians. Everybody has a worldview. I don't know if you knew you had a worldview, but you have a worldview. Whether you know you have a worldview or you don't have a worldview, you do have one. Uh, and your worldview is going to include questions about where do you think you came from? Where do you think you're going to when you die? How do you think you should live your life? And in terms of this particular passage of scripture, your worldview includes why do you think you suffer? Why do you think there is evil? And when you, I would encourage you, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, to think about it, think about what your worldview is. And let's compare that against other philosophies and other religions. I want to suggest to you that the only worldview that will satisfactorily, satisfactorily, satisfactorily answer those questions, where have you come from, where are you going to, why do we suffer, why is there evil in the world, how should you live your life, is Christianity. Because if you don't believe that, if that isn't your worldview, who's going to comfort you? Where's your comfort coming from? if you don't believe that. Well, there are, there are other reasons for suffering. There, I mean, we talked there about the general su- suffering, um, the sufferings of Christ, verse 5, back in our passage, 2 Corinthians. Uh, someone give us the, the chapter, the, the page number there in the red book. Who's in the red book? 1158. I won't tr- track the bingo joke again. Um, the... Looking here, it it says, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives. So, so the reason why Christians suffer is that the suffering of Christ flows into their lives. That's something that's not experienced by non-Christians. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. Yes, there's joy. There's great joy in being Christian, but there's also suffering. Everywhere in the Bible, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but everywhere in the Bible you see this pattern, suffering, then glory, suffering, glory, suffering, glory, suffering, glory, it's all the way through. It's the same in our life. We will suffer now, there will be glory. Persecution, ridicule. Following the Father's will when, when, when we know what the cost is. Following the Father's will when we don't know what the cost is. Hard labour, sometimes no fruit from our hard labour. Your family turning your back on you, your spouse turning your back on you, the world laughing at you, death in his service, pouring your life out to God. Let me stop there. That, that looks quite a gloomy list. And it's all true, but let me also say to you that, to remember that it is so worth it. It is so worth it to be acknowledged by God, to be with him forever. Look what Paul says, the same, same, same book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians, just turn over a page to 2 Corinthians 4, maybe two pages, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to, the, to death for Jesus' sake. Remember that, that idea of the sufferings of Christ overflowing? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work with you. And just go down there to verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Get this one. This, one, this gets me. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What a great concept, what a great idea that, that even though we're suffering, we are almost earning this, this great reward. So yes, we suffer because of our faith. We go back, go back, turn back the other pages again, back to one, one, whatever it was, Second Corinthians chapter one. Look at the second part of verse five. So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Our comfort overflows. This is why in verse three, Paul says, praise to the God of, of all comfort. Who else can comfort in the way that Christ can? Who knows our suffering better? Who suffered more than he has? No one suffered any more. Who knows what we need more than he does? Who's more tender than he is? Notice the difference in the words there in verse 5 as well. Notice that, that it says, uh, our sufferings flow over. So that idea of sp perhaps spilling over or coming over. But the word associated with comfort is overflows. The idea of abundance. Imagine a cup, you know, you know that thing about uh, is the cup half full or ha half empty? Or if you're an engineer, is the cup over-designed? But anyway, um, for all the engineers here, that's an engineer joke. Um, but imagine instead, not a cup that's half full, but a cup overflowing. Just water pouring over the side, pouring over the side, pouring over the side, pouring over the side, never stopping. That's how God's comfort flows out. Don't you want to be comforted that way? Don't you want to be comforted in that line of thought? Another reason why we comfort and we, uh, why we suffer, and we, we talked about this earlier, um, Christians suffer and are distressed so they can experience comfort and then pass it on to others that were there in, in verse 6 in the passage. Um, now, it's not, as, as I said before, it's not always the case, I think, but, but often it is the case that one of the reasons we suffer is in order to, to um, comfort each other. We've already thought that. But fourthly, you'll notice that suffering helps us to put our hope in Jesus. In, in verses 6 and 7 there, you can see how Paul is making the link to say, uh, if, you are, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which, pro which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings you suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. Uh, let's flip back over to Romans 5, just see that again. He says that again in a different way, uh, that, that's perhaps uh, a different way to help you follow it. So this is Romans chapter 5 in, uh, in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Here we go, I'll get to talking about suffering again. Because we know that, and you can see how, how this is going to link together with other people, so that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given. So in that sense in which we suffer so that our hope in Christ is built up. Flip back to 2 Corinthians. We're still going to more, more reasons why we suffer. Uh, I make it number five on my list, but who knows, I might not be counting very well there. I am, after all, an accountant. The fifth reason there is for us to learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. Paul says that there in uh, verse nine. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
Most writers here think he's talking about, Paul is talking about uh, a situation back in Ephesus where he was in Asia. Don't turn there now, you'll find that in Acts 19. Uh, Paul's in Ephesus and he's getting accused of all kinds of things, mostly by the silversmiths in town because they've kind of lost business. You ever want to upset someone? Get them to lose some business, that'll get them upset. And a riot breaks out. This riot breaks out in Ephesus. And the word in 2 Corinthians here, this, this idea of, of um, this sentence of death, the words are like, when you translate it, they're like, if you imagine a ship being so overloaded that it just keeps getting lower and lower and lower and lower and then just sinks. Uh, so he's saying, you know, it's as if I'm totally sinking, as if I'm, I'm just drowning. I, know, I, know, I don't know about you, sometimes I find it hard to identify with people in the Bible in, in different situations, but I certainly relate to, to Paul in this one. There's certainly been times when I felt like I am drowning. Uh, let's face it, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, Paul, if anyone knows what suffering is like, uh, it's Paul. Let's just turn with me very briefly, stay in 2 Corinthians, go to the right again to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. This always messes with my head, I have to say. Here we go. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. So it was whipped five times, 39 times it's that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I don't know anybody who was shipwrecked. That happens three times. This is the one that really gets me. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So, so you're floating in the sea for a night and a day. <laughs> um, I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. For physical punishment, physical danger, persecution, hunger, thirst, hard work, sleeplessness, cold, not enough clothes, mental torture. By the way, until you really get to know a pastor, you really can't know the mental anguish that they go through as they look over their flock. Paul really knows what he's talking about. And after all this, he says, praise, to, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He really knows what he's talking about when he says that. And he says that all that, incur- all that suffering is to encourage you, the Corinthian church, but in this case us, to encourage us as we suffer. And to, to do it so he might not rely on God. Now, there, there are other reasons why we suffer, as I say, there's a, there's a whole sermon series here. Um, personally, I think that in addition to the kind of themes we've, we've talked about, um, there are more unique ways, in, um, sorry, excuse me, more unique reasons why God lets these things happen. And some of those are reasons that relate to individuals, to individual people. Uh, Some relate to the people around them. Some we will not know this side of heaven. I suspect that any one season of suffering that someone goes through actually is for all kinds of reasons. I don't think there's one reason. I think there's so many reasons why one person will will go through some suffering. Uh, And we, we will not always know those reasons. I know the death of one lovely Christian brother who died uh, unexpectedly. He's a lovely, lovely saint. He had a great family. He died when I felt relatively young. Shortly afterwards, his son, who, who if I use the words off the track, uh, uh, would only vaguely describe where this kid was. I mean, he was so off the track. Shortly after his father died, this son became a Christian and he's now totally on fire for the Lord. I mean totally on fire for the Lord. 
Is that what, why this guy died? I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it may have been one of the reasons. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not totally sure about that, but, but perhaps it was. But, but importantly, I think, knowing the guy who died, and I knew him reasonably well, knowing the, the guy, if you'd said to him, the result of you dying will be your son who is totally off the wall and off the track, and I'm using words there that aren't unintended, would actually come to faith in Jesus and then follow the Lord and say, okay, okay, that sounds like a deal, let's do it. I don't think he would regret that at all. He certainly doesn't regret it now. He's in heaven. He would join with Paul saying, for our light and momentary trouble of achieving for us eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. He would say that. And his last words, his last words as he was dying to one of his Christian brothers next to him was, trust God. And I can tell you there's no one in that congregation who doesn't remember those words. So if you're going through suffering, seek out older saints, the, 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 the people in the congregation who have already suffered. Get to know them, get to know their stories. They will encourage you. If someone comes to you and wants you to share in that way, listen, validate the situation. You know what they're going through. They're, they've come to you because you're going through it. You've been through it. And share with them your wisdom and your experience. You're not trying to solve the problem. You're just trying to love them just trying to share the comfort with them. In our own heads, we need to think about suffering. We need to think about what it means. We need to study it and prepare for it so that when it comes, we are ready so that we can say with Paul, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as the body of Christ, we are going to suffer, but let us suffer together. Let us share in our suffering. Help, let us comfort one another so that we can say to each other, trust God. Well, let's come back to uh, that idea of comfort. We said we we're going to come back to the subject of prayer when we do suffer through prayer. And, and praying is one of the ways, as, as Andrew uh, lifted, us, lifted us up in prayer there, praying for each other in the body of Christ is one of the really important ways in which we can share comfort. Uh, I think it's a, a, I might have said this before, I'm sorry if I have. Um, I think it's a common misconception in the church that we pray about the worker. You know, we pray about the work, we pray about, about people. I want to I say to you that prayer is the work. Prayer in itself is work, it's hard work. If, it, if any of you try to pray for an hour without stop, this is not as easy as you might think. You know, prayer is hard work. We're called to pray for each other. We're called to pray for each other as we struggle. You can see this here in the passage in verse 11. Maybe, maybe back up a bit. On him, even our God, on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. So, so Paul is saying here, we're, we're, we're called to pray for each other. He says, notice he's not saying, okay, <coughs> elders in the church of Corinth, you need to pray for us, or one particular group, he's saying, all of you, pray for us. But very importantly, as well as praying for Paul as he goes through those kind of struggles, remember when he wrote all that list of, of things he'd gone through, he still wasn't at the end of his life. He still had to be locked up a few more times and, and ultimately killed in Rome. Um, but notice the verse doesn't stop there. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So very importantly, when someone is relieved of suffering, when someone's suffering stops or is reduced, then the body of Christ gives thanks. Then the body of Christ says, yes, that's what we pray for, because God answers prayer. If the Christian life is a suffering life, it's also a joyful life. And so we pray with thanksgiving. So we'll, we'll make requests for God, but we'll also give thanks to God. 
I can recall um, an older member of the congregation telling me about his brother. Now, his brother had a, a genetic heart condition, which meant he was very, very ill. Uh, I would say, from what he was saying, he was probably in his late 40s at this time, something around about there. And he went for, he went to Papworth Hospital, that you, you may have heard of, uh, a place that does a lot of heart operations. And he was one of the first people to have this particular uh, type of, of heart operation. It was quite experimental at the time. They didn't know exactly whether it was going to work or not. So before he went off for this operation, the church sort of gathered around him and really lifted him up in prayer. So they prayed for him. They were praying for him as he was there and, and as he was having the operation. Um, praise God, that operation was uh, successful. It's a good job because it is... You know, his, his chances of life would have been very, very marginal if, if the operation hadn't succeeded. But it, it succeeded, praise God. And this guy who was telling me this story just said, just said, when this guy came back into the church after that successful operation, he felt the, the prayers of thanksgiving and the, and the praise, uh, they, gave, they, you know, they gave a new definition to that thing of raising the roof in, in a building. I mean, look, thank God. Oh, thank God. And so, and so there, you know, we, we get that sense of, yes, I'm praying to God, but also thanksgiving when prayers are answered. But we can only do this if we know that someone is struggling with someone. Folks, do not be slow in saying what you're struggling with. How can the body of Christ pray for you and comfort you if you don't know? This, this thing about, oh, I don't like to bother anybody. <laughs> or, uh, or uh, uh, I don't like a fuss. Uh, no, no, not interested in that, uh, because because it's unhelpful. It's putting up a barrier between your brothers and your sisters. We we love each other. We are brothers, our sisters. We need to know what we're struggling with. Um, how can we comfort each other if we don't know that we need comfort? It's as simple as that. But if you do open yourself up, what I, what I would say you will see is you will see the love of Christ poured out to you from the comfort of the brothers and sisters around you. You'll feel, you'll feel what appears to be unbearable start to become bearable to you. I can remember when my, my mother and my father died in 2009. Uh, they died three weeks apart. Uh, they were in Sheffield. We were in the Cayman Islands. And you could just constantly hear the prayers of, of our congregation poured. I mean, constantly. We were in no doubt at all that we were being prayed for. Uh, but not only in terms of prayer, but also in terms of comfort. Those who perhaps lost parents already shared their experiences with us. Um, one lady who had a key to our house, uh, it was just before Christmas, uh, one lady who had a key for our house uh, broke in. Uh, filled our fridge and decorated our house for Christmas. And so we came back to the island. And we said, now, we, we probably wouldn't have bothered to be honest with you decorating the house for Christmas, you know, given the circumstances. It wasn't over the top or anything, but it, it was really nice. It was like, okay, we know our sister Janet, I'm pretty sure it was our sister, has, has loved us in that way. The last example I want to leave with you is another example from my own life. Denise and I experienced the aftermath of uh, a major hurricane in 2004. It was called Hurricane Ivan, uh, shortly known afterwards as Ivan the Terrible by the folks on the island. And although we didn't suffer very much, um, myself and Denise, a lot of the people around us did. A lot of people in the, our congregation did. Um, people lost their houses, people, many people lost their cars. Um, or their houses were damaged. Um, perhaps they were out of work for a long period of time because the, the place where they worked was damaged. Uh, flooding. Uh, the church itself was a wreck. That's another story. Um, yet in that experience, we observed the kind of thing Paul's talking about here. We observed the kind of thing. We saw brothers and sisters comforting each other, sometimes uh, in very practical ways, often just giving someone a hug and giving someone a word of encouragement, um, not blaming God for what had happened. Yes, acknowledging he could have stopped it because he could have stopped it, but he's allowed that to happen. 
But in actual fact, what we saw was a church and a group of people whose faith was built up, whose faith increased. This, This thing didn't reduce people's faith. It increased people's faith. We saw people uh, uh, taking food to each other. We saw people uh, uh, covering up uh, if you'd had the window broken on your car and the rain was coming in, covering up with plastic, um, pulling broken cars out of the way, patching up roofs, that kind of thing. Um, But more importantly, praying for each other. And even more importantly, comforting and encouraging each other. Stepping up, some people who'd never really stepped up in those ways before, suddenly finding they had a, a ministry of prayer. And I think the hurricane, I can, I know for a fact the hurricane was instrumental in one of my co workers, who was a fairly cynical um, lady, uh, coming to faith for the first time. And subsequently, then her husband came to faith. It was a real living example of of the body of Christ. It was a real living example that the body of Christ in part is there to comfort each other when we are suffering. I want to say to you, do not wait for a hurricane in your life to start comforting each other. Start now. Figure out what it is that people need comforting about and get on with it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You are the God of all comfort, Lord. And and Lord, we need your comfort. We need comfort from you. We need comfort from each other as Christians, Lord. Because because we are suffering. We are suffering with different things. We're we're not going to go on about the list, but there are things that are heavy and burdensome to the point where we feel they are unbearable. Please, Father, will you help us? Will you comfort us? Will you comfort us directly? Will you comfort us through our brothers and sisters? Help us to comfort our brother or sister, perhaps with the experiences that we already have, or even just like my mum with a hug and, and holding someone's hand with a nice cup of tea and a, a smile and, and whatever. Father, help us to be the body of Christ. Help us to be... Th- the kind of church where people can come to comfort, where people feel comforted, where they can see your love being expressed in the way in which we love each other, in this particular mission, this particular thing that you've called us to do.